Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. And I just feel like there's real grace on this chapter for us right now. And I want to talk to you about it a little bit. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, And you he made alive. And if you'll notice, if you have uh, King James or New King James or one of those, he made alive will be in italics because the translators tried to make it read more completely. It wasn't there in the original text. So it would say, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. How many of you know that's who we all were? Well, it is. I mean, you may not have lived into it, but that's who you were, you know? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. The primary motivator for all that God does is love. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen, this is not something future. This is something past. It's already happened. When you received Christ, you were put into Christ. In fact, as far as from God's perspective, you were put in Christ when he was on the cross. You were in him. Because, and if, you're, if you were in him, then you are in him. You didn't lose your place. Yeah, but I sinned and I made some mistakes. And I, yeah, that didn't take you out of Christ. Because the only thing that put you into Christ was faith. It wasn't your works that put you in Christ. It was your faith that put you in Christ. And if your faith put you in Christ then your works can't take you out of Christ. It's unbelief that takes you out of Christ. Lack of faith. So by faith you're in Christ, and by faith you stay in Christ, and you maintain your position. And so God put you in Christ at the cross. He killed the former version of you. How many of you want to say good riddance? He killed your association with first Adam. And all that was due to him because of his sin, all of that was put into Christ at the cross and it died in him. When he died, you died. He resurrected you in Christ into a new life and he raised you up in Christ to his throne in the heavens. So everything that you ever struggled with is under you and Jesus' feet at this time. The only thing that will make that a reality in your life is your faith helping you to see that perspective. 
Not your struggle, not your effort. It's just, not, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. So once that awareness hits your heart, you'll start living from a different place. You're no longer looking up at the devil shooting arrows at you. You're dropping bombs on his head. How many of you know what a powerful military position of advantage it is if your enemy is down there and you're dropping bombs on his head instead of shooting up at, his, at him above you? He's not above you. He's beneath you. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. It's not something you have to work for to achieve or to attain. It's something that already happened. It's who you are in Christ and where you're positioned. You are already victorious in Christ. Verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So this isn't something you can work up. You didn't deserve it, and you can't earn it. You can only receive it and thank him for it. How do I receive it? By faith. By believing what God said. Faith is simply this. It's not a feeling. It's not some mystical quality that some people have, and I'm not sure how I can get it. That's not what it is. Faith is simply seeing what God's word says and making a choice to believe it. It's something that everyone can do because everyone's been given a measure of faith. So there's not some people, oh, I just don't know how they can live that way, and I just don't have that thing, you know. No, no. Faith is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice that you make to believe what God said. God said when Jesus died, you died. God said when Jesus was buried in the tomb, you were buried. God said when he was raised from the dead, you were raised into a new life. God said, when he ascended into glory, you ascended in him, and now you're seated with him in heavenly places, high above all principality and power and every name that is named, both in this age and in the one to come. That's what he did for you. It's already done. And so, I wish there's a way that I could emphasize how important it is that we allow our perspective to change. Uh, Jesus said, the lens of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body, right? And if your, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if you can see that with one single lens, one perspective that it, with, without... Well, today I think I see it, but tomorrow I see my problems, and so I don't think I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ anymore. So if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. If your eye is evil, or we could say if your eye is fractured, so that you're seeing multiple things at the same time and you're wavering between them, that's how the enemy keeps us in defeat. But if your eye is single, your whole body is going to be full of light, and you're going to be walking in the light all the time. So this is not even about God wanting to cut you out of the process. You're in the process. Your part is to believe. It's God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The uh, um, disciples came to Jesus and they said, what must we do that we may work the works of God? And you know what he said? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. 
That's your work. Your work is faith. And, and so, don't worry. There's plenty for you to do. But first you have to be born and grow. And your mom doesn't need your help being born. She's, mom's able to give birth to you without your help. Your, your part is not to make that happen. Your part is to allow it to happen. Just enjoy the process as much as you can. Uh, but it says we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you weren't created to sit on the sidelines and be inactive and just say, well, Jesus did it all, so I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it. Because the kind of faith that believes in what Jesus did is an active faith. It's a faith that is powerful. It's a faith that moves. It's a faith that's dynamic. It's not a faith that's static. Listen, everything in your life needs to be constantly moving. Because things that don't move become stagnant. Things that don't move become part of a swamp. And you need to be active, not so that you can earn what Jesus already did for you, but that so you can allow him to live his life through you. Because not, not only are you in Christ, he's in you. There's, there's two significant pictures in Scripture of an ark. The first one is Noah's ark. And the ark is, is always a picture of Christ. Well, that's the one that we're in. We're in the ark, and because of it, we have a place of refuge. We are totally safe in the ark, in Christ, no matter what devastation happens around us. But the second one is the ark of the covenant, and that one's in us. We're the tabernacle, body, soul, spirit, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. And that's Christ in us, living his life through us, releasing his glory in us and through us. And so not only are we in Christ, he's in us, living his life out through us. That's the works part that happens because, because when God begins to stir and give us a vision of what Jesus wants to do through you, it's the same thing as Jesus saying, I don't do anything except what I see my father doing. So I was thinking about that the other day when I was reading about the, Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know, people are always looking for keys. They're looking for formulas, kind of. I don't know how Jesus did that because I'd like to do that kind of stuff. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a key there to how he did it in Matthew. He took the bread and he looked up. That's the key. He looked up. He saw what the Father was doing, so he did what he saw the Father doing. And 5,000 people were fed. He didn't just figure out a formula and say, well, I can do that. No, he looked at what the Father was doing, and that's what he did. And when he saw what the Father was doing, he went ahead and did that, and heaven's miraculous power was released on earth. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe that was, that was really uh, in the middle of that prophetic download that Doug was getting this morning about 
the, the seal being broken and the scroll being opened. You know, when God unrolls a scroll, it connects to your purpose. Okay, this is what I created you for. I'm going to begin to release grace for you now to begin to live into that in your next season. That means I'm going to call you to do some things. And as you do those things, there's going to be all kinds of grace released in your life for you to be delivered from the things that you've been struggling with, from you, for you being provided for the things that you're having a hard time finding provision for. Because grace comes to those who participate in forward motion. And the, the picture that I've always seen for that is, is gravity. You know, all of us are bound to gravity, right? You know, there's this law of gravity that, you know, you weigh a certain number of pounds and that your weight holds you to the planet. But then, you know, and, and, and that just, that works for all of us. Unless you get in a jet plane. And a jet plane, the way that it works is through the law of aerodynamics. It, your forward motion releases grace for that thing to come off the ground. It's a picture of, of when we connect to God's purpose for our life. As we move forward in the purpose of God, we begin to live in another dimension, in another realm. Where we can transcend what typically holds us to the laws of nature, and we begin to operate in a law of grace. And as long as there's forward motion in the purpose of God, you'll find yourself doing things that you weren't able to do before. But it's not just for our entertainment. It's not just because it's fun. It's because it connects to our purpose, what we were created for, what our kingdom purpose is. Listen, God didn't just create you just to sit here and be happy and die and go to heaven sometime. If that was it, he might as well take you now. Okay, he created you to fulfill a certain assignment here on the planet. And the more that you press into that assignment and connect with that assignment, the more grace you're going to begin to experience and the more the supernatural power of heaven is going to get involved with your life. Does that make sense? Not because you try to make it happen. You're... You don't have the grace to be like a helicopter. Boy, if I could just make myself whatever, I know I can go straight up. No, you need to go forward into God's purpose for your life because it's in that purpose that you're going to find the grace that you're looking for. Is that making sense? Protection, provision, power, and freedom. The law of forward motion. That's what I call it. I, don't, I, don't, I just make up my own phrases, but that's one that I use. There's a, I have, a, I have a, an understanding of the law of forward motion when it comes to kingdom. And the grace that's released to your life for God to do things for you as you connect to his purpose that you can't make happen otherwise. And it has nothing to do with you earning your salvation. You know, the Red Sea crossing. Remember Moses stretched out his rod, the sea parted ahead of them. That's what happens when you're a baby. Israel was a baby when they came out of Egypt. They were being birthed. There was a nation being birthed. So God parted the Red Sea. I remember when I was first saved, God would part the Red Sea for me. He would do stuff for me. It was so cool because it was, it was like a parent running to take care of the baby. You know, all the baby had to do was cry, and here comes mommy running, right? That's what he'll do for you when you're a baby. But there'll come a time when he no longer works the same way in your life. 
Because when Israel got to Jordan, they were 40 years old, and it was time for them to grow up a little bit. And so the water didn't part until they stepped in it. There's a new level of faith that God requires of us. As we grow and mature in Christ, he no longer comes running every time we squall, right? He expects us to begin to, to, to grow up and to respond like men and women of faith rather than a baby that all they can, we can do is cry and mommy comes running for us. So at the Jordan River, we learn to cross like a man. It's time for us to go and begin to live into our destiny it's time for us to cross over in faith because there's an inherent inheritance on the other side. And the Lord's not just going to uh, give it to us on a silver platter. We've got to find our sword. We've got to begin to engage in the battle. That's mine. The Lord promised it to me, and I want it. That's the, it's the heart of Caleb. I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. There's a mountain for every one of you in the land of promise, but you can't just sit there and expect God to drop it in your lap. We have to go after it, right? I mean, it'd be nice if we could, but I've never found the grace to do that. Amen? Anyone want to file a complaint at this time about that? Verse 11 says, therefore remember that once Gentile, that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the, blood of, by the blood of Christ. So now we are one body. We are one new man. So the things that divided us from people before, all of that has changed. Before, that we, were, before we came into the kingdom, we were divided by all kinds of silly things. Well, we can't relate to those people. We can't relate to the... You know, we've, we've gone to uh, mission fields a lot. And you know, when you first go, you don't understand anything they say. But when you walk into one of their worship services, guess what? It's the same Holy Spirit that's here. And you realize you're one with these people. We're part of one family. Those things that divided us before don't stand in the way anymore because they have the same Holy Spirit and the same amazing presence of God that we do. And when that hits you, you begin to realize you're part of a universal family. That's phenomenal. And those divisions, those walls of separation have to come down. These are people Jesus gave his life for. And they're people that we love because they, are the, they have the same spirit in them that we do. And then verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is your peace. John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave you. I leave with you my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is your peace. He doesn't give you peace like the world does. The world says, well, let me make, bring all the circumstances in your life into a place of rest, and then you can be at peace. Jesus said, no, I don't give peace that way. Me in you is your peace. Jesus in us is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 
Jesus is your peace inwardly, not as the world gives, which is circumstantially. So if you're waiting for Jesus to bring everything in your life into a peaceful state so that you can be at peace, you're going to be waiting for a long time. You can only bring peace to the world around you once you carry peace inside because he himself is our peace. When you have inner peace, you can be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Because once you carry his tangible peace on the inside, you're going to be ra- begin to be raised up and begin to walk as a son or a daughter of God. Because once you carry peace, you can release peace. And of course, the great example of that is Jesus sleeping in the boat. And the disciples are all fearful because they didn't carry peace inside yet. And so when the storm came, they couldn't do anything about it. So they w- woke Jesus up and he reprimanded them from What's wrong with you guys? Don't you know how to do this yet? And then he said, peace, be still. And what he carried, he was able to release. And once we carry peace on the inside, we can release peace. Once you carry peace, you can go into a situation of conflict and you can release peace because you carry something tangible on the inside. And, I'm not, and, and you know, that, that grows in all of us as we walk with the Lord, as we walk with the Prince of Peace, and as he establishes his peace in a deeper and a deeper way experientially in our heart, we can begin to shift atmospheres through the peace that we carry. And so some of the circumstances and some of the situations and, you know, challenging relationships and all of that, that we're asking Jesus to take care of for us. He's actually wanting to equip us to be part of the answer. Listen, I found out a long time ago that your prayers are a lot more effective if you're willing to be part of the answer to your own prayer. Amen? If, you're, if you, you, you can pray all your life for the Lord to send somebody to answer your prayer, and if he's chosen you to be the solution to that thing, then you're going to have to start moving forward in response and obedience to what the Lord has established in you and begin to release that into your circumstances. Because he first wants to birth in us what we want to see in our world. Look at your neighbor and says, you're the answer. Amen? Verse 15 says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to, in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. This is a big deal. And it's going to become even a bigger deal. Because the church that is free is making peace with the church that is being driven by law and rules. Because Jesus put the enmity to death at the cross. And, and, and if Jesus has set you free from living under the rules, then, then we need to allow him to help us to become secure enough in our freedom that we're not threatened by rubbing shoulders with those who still live under the law. Because we become the message that they need. 
Not because we're putting our finger in their face and accusing them, because they're, they're already experiencing that under the law. But we're demonstrating what freedom looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like. Not because we're lawless, because we're not. But because we've transitioned from outer law to inner law. Because we've allowed Jesus to write his law in our hearts and in our minds. The inner law actually has a higher standard than the outer law. Because the outer law never addresses the motives of the heart. Christ has destroyed the enmity. You don't have to do it. It's been accomplished at the cross. He's destroyed the enmity between us. And the reason I say it's going to become even a bigger deal is because the Holy Spirit is pouring so much hunger into these uh, churches that are bound by religious rules and religious standards, and you have to do this to be right, and you have to... Uh, th there's so much hunger that's being poured into those uh, church bodies now. And, and we have to be willing to be part of the answer to them finding breakthrough and finding freedom. And it's not our job to tell them, well, you have to get rid of this, and you have to, you have to leave this. It's not, that's not our job. There's only one head of the church. You know who that is? It's Jesus. It's not you. It's Jesus. And, and the Lord has put a homing device inside of all of his people that tells you when you're home. And it's not our job to go tell anybody, hey, you need to come worship where I do. That's not our job. If they already have a church family, our job is to bring them life. Our job is to pour truth into them that helps them find the freedom that we've found. Our job is to love them where they're at. Our job is to help them be encouraged where they're at. Our job is to demonstrate to them the love that Jesus has for them by allowing him to love them through us. Amen? And, 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 the, and that, that's something that has been a stumbling block for so many people is thinking, well, if... if if, if they came and worshipped where I worship, then they'd, be, then they'd be okay with God. No, that's not true. Because God's not... The, the Lord, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, God designed the body. God is the master designer that sat down and he designed the body and who's supposed to fit where and how they're supposed to function and what their role is. God designed all of that. It's not, that's not our job. So we need to allow the homing device that Jesus put into all of his people to function and to let people know. And, 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 and when people are free to do that, then they'll know when they're home. It's a little bunny trail, but I'll address it while we're here. And that is the, the issue of corporate conscience. Because many of us grew up in a religious system that had a corporate conscience. We didn't have the freedom to develop our own personal conscience before God. And so if the church said, well, these are the rules you have to live by, then you felt guilty if you broke those rules, and you, and you, and you didn't feel guilty if you were able to keep all the rules. Most of us weren't able to keep them all, right? We knew that we kind of broke this, that, or the other. But that's a corporate conscience, and what it does is it robs people of their own personal conscience before God. And every one of us needs to be released. And there's people, even in supposed spirit-filled or Pentecostal churches, that still tell me, well, 
you know, I told my, this is not to come down on anybody. I'm just giving you an illustration of this. I told my pastor, I felt the Lord was telling me thus and so. And he said, no, that's not God. This is what God is saying to you. And I hope none of you have ever heard me do that to you. Because the most important voice that you will ever hear is the voice of the shepherd speaking directly to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And it's not my job to tell you, no, that's not God. Unless I know it's something that's directly from a wrong spirit. Like, I'm supposed to go over and kill these people. Right? Or I'm supposed to do this self-destructive thing. But for, for his people who know his voice, who've been born again, and they've come into a relationship with the shepherd, the chief shepherd, it's our, not our job to tell you you're not hearing from God. It's our job to help you understand how to live into what Jesus is saying to you. It's not up to us to define what he's saying to you. Does that, does that make sense? Every one of us has a personal responsibility to live with our, with our own personal conscience before God. And if you can do that, I'll tell you what, that, that is a critical first step in connecting to the purpose of God for your life. It's to live out of that personal conscience before God. And, and then in uh, verse 17 it says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That sounds like family, doesn't it? You're not strangers, you're not aliens, you're not foreigners anymore, you're family. No matter where you come from, no matter what tribe uh, ethnically you came from, when you come and you find your place in the, in the body of Christ, your family, you're part of the Father's family, and he's so, he's so excited that you're home, and home not being inside these walls, but home being in the family of God where you belong. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Let, let, me, let me go down a little bit of a bunny trail there. Um, you know, we get around certain people, uh, certain streams, certain movements, uh, and people come in and they, and they start uh, calling, calling me an apostle, calling somebody apostle this, a prophet that, all, you know, and, and, and I've learned not to choke on that because I recognize there is something that God has called me to and called each one of us to that we need to, but for me, I, I see it more as a job description than I do as a title. And so don't gag on that, don't choke on that. Uh, some of you are called to be apostles. Some of you are called to be prophets. That doesn't, that's not a title of, that, that makes you better than anyone else. If anything, it's, it's, a, it's a commission to serve at a deeper level and to lay down your life as a foundation for others to build on. There's a price that's required to walk in those assignments in the kingdom. That's why it says that the foundation is of apostles and prophets. They're the ones who are required to lay down their life as a foundation stone for others to be built on. It's not that they're on top of the pile, you know, uh, 
of, of some kind of a kingdom hierarchy ordering everybody. What, that's not how it works. Uh, God's given them incredible authority to, when they're functioning in their assignment. But that's not because they're called to be dictators in the body. It's because they're called to lay down their lives to serve you so that you can live into your kingdom assignment in Jesus' name. Amen? But if you want to know how to address me, are you paying attention? I don't want you to forget this. If you want to know how to address me, I'm Yuri. Yeah. That's who I am. Remember that? Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We heard uh, uh, prophetic brother Alan Arrow would say, that's how we know that Jesus was a Native American, because right here it calls him Chief Cornerstone. Okay, then. If you wanted to know what his tribe is, there it is. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So, yeah, we meet inside these walls, so it's a special place because here's where we meet. But the real building, the eternal structure, is the structure that happens when we come together. And we're all living stones in his temple. And he comes and inhabits the place with his own presence. And this becomes the holiest place on earth because it's where the glory of God dwells. This becomes the most amazing place on earth because this is where the government of God functions. This becomes the most intimate place on earth because this is where Jesus is communing with his bride. When his presence comes, some of, some of you were here last Sunday morning when we had the holy presence of God at this altar that without music, we, people were just down here Worshiping because of the awesome presence of God. This is the most amazing place on the planet. It's what everybody is hungry for. Even those who are looking in all the wrong places. This is what everybody is hungering for. Is the level of intimacy that God is restoring with his bride. He's creating a bride. He's forming a bride. And he's in love with her. And he's awakening her passion so that she's in love with him. And every one of us gets to be a part of that. And this is the most amazing opportunity that every one of us has. And it's only going to grow and grow and grow in intensity as we move forward because Jesus is wanting a bride that looks like him. I, I, I can't explain it all to you because I don't understand it all myself, but I know this, and I hope none of you chokes on this because it's, this is pretty intense stuff, but I know that the Lord has never promoted interspecies uh, marital relationships. In fact, he kind of forbade it. And yet we who are human are called to be the bride of the Son of God. And I think this is what John saw when he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. We're called into an amazing, intimate bridal relationship with the Son of God himself, total intimacy, 
not just unity. Unity is awesome, but union. The Lord's going to take us beyond unity to union with the Son of God himself. And that's so amazing. There is another religion on the planet that can hold a candle to a living relationship with Jesus. With God the Father through his own Son. Let's stand. We're going to get ready for to have communion together. We're going to take up an offering for any of you who want to take up an offering for Mark Guggins and his ministry to Pakistan. And the text to give special, I think. For those of you who want to give that way, keyword special. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity that you've given us to be called your own sons and daughters. Thank you for your holy presence in our life. Today, Father, let the revelation hit every person in this room of the significance of what we carry. That in the same way as Israel, when they carried the ark into battle, they never lost a battle. That when we carry your presence into every circumstance, every place of conflict, every place of challenge in our life, we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. No matter what we face, no matter what we endure, that we get to live with complete inner peace and total intimacy and union with the creator of the universe. That we never have to be a victim of any circumstance that befalls us or any conflict that surrounds us because of the one who lives within us. Today, Father, I ask that you by your spirit would help every person in this place to see what total victory looks like in their own life and in their own family and that you would help every one of us to see what the Father is doing. That you would help every one of us hear what the Father is saying. So we're, not, we're set free from our own ideas about how to make all this stuff happen. But we get into a flow of anointing and inspiration and creativity that comes from the throne of God. So, Father, I ask for families that are represented here where there's so much division and hurt and conflict and betrayal. I ask for healing to come, in Jesus' name. That you would tear down the middle wall of partition between those who can't even stand each other. And that you would bring a union in families that's the answer to so many years of prayer and faith in trusting you. That you would begin to unroll the scroll that you've written for every family represented here. And give us all an opportunity to live into a new day. A day of unprecedented fruitfulness for your family an unprecedented influence on the world around us.
because of your light in us. Jesus, we believe you. We choose to believe you when you said you are the light of the world. Let your light shine in and through us to bring light to the darkness around us in every place. In Jesus' name. And Father, as we, as we receive the bread, Jesus, you said, take and eat. This is my body. My body was broken for you. His body was broken on the cross just for you. His body was broken so that you could receive healing. So that all of your broken parts can be brought back together again. So that all your broken family pieces can come back together again and be whole. We receive this with so much gratefulness, Jesus, because of what you suffered for us. Thank you for paying that price for us. And as we drink this cup, you said this is the new covenant in my blood. Thank you for destroying every lesser covenant that bound us, that restricted us, that held us in darkness in any area. Thank you that through the, the blood of Jesus, as we receive this cup, every other contrary covenant is broken in Jesus' name and we're released into a covenant of life through the one who loved us so much. We thank you for doing that for us, Jesus.